0: everyone. It's good to see you. I will try to project. Is that good in the back? Nods, nods nods all right <laughs> mm. 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 I really enjoyed that sit. have to wake up very early tomorrow and get on an airplane and uh, the, day's, the day has been relaxing but it's also been full. Mm. I wanted to uh, not, not share too long so that uh, we could do some questions and responses and perhaps I'd be able to speak to some of your very specific issues or questions in practice uh, and not just in a general sense uh, but I do want to share about how important it's been for me in my life to uh, to find the time to do what we just did, to stop, right? To stop and just be present. Uh, And to share a little bit about some of the practice I learned that's really helped me to do that. Um, When we're able to be more calm, more present, we see more clearly, we understand more deeply uh, what we're doing, what's going on in us, what others are doing and what's going on around us and we can proceed from there with uh, with the way we contemplate ourselves and others, with the way we communicate and relate with others, with the choices we make in terms of our activity and our work in the world, that can come from our understanding. The reality is that every single moment of our lives, we're acting on our understanding. And sometimes our understanding is poor incomplete or mis- you know we have misperceptions um, but that does you know that that means that our actions are coming from that place of uh, not seeing things as clearly as we might. And so that practice of stopping, stopping the running, stopping the busyness, for moments, for enough moments, for long enough or deep enough moments that we can really settle down and get in touch with ourselves, with each other. Right. That's why it's so important <laughs> because then we have the chance to renew and to deepen our understanding, put it into practice. Uh, that's actually a big theme of what we just did in our retreat the last three, four days. Uh, And our teachings revolved a lot around how to go further in with that understanding in order to uh, transform our activities in our daily life, our relationships, our communication. Mm. But it all rests on the stopping. It's so easy to find wonderful things to do every day there are so many wonderful people there are so many big challenges to work on great sufferings to transform there are so many beautiful places to go there are so many relationships to nourish uh, and to heal Right. so there's so many ways we can be active every day and we tend to go for that, right? As soon as you have some energy, you wanna you wanna use it move it. And how, you know, how we do that either gives us more energy to keep going or not. <laughs> uh, but one of those things that we need to give our time to is that practice of not doing anything. <laughs> And I really, uh, it's been a, a long journey for me since I've been out of the monastery. It continues to be a journey to, to, to discover again and again how to keep doing that. Uh, monastic life is set up so that you don't have a choice. <laughs> right? Everything is structured for you to enter deeply into the moment and gives you that support but life in society is not like that so it's so important Um, that sheds light on how important it is to find the support right that for me that's that image I have lived in the monastery I've had that support and so moving into society where there isn't that support how can that support be built how can we learn to lean on each other come together as communities of practice as sanghas to 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 build that, and to uh, not just nourish ourselves but nourish each other in the process too.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: So here's a fun technique, all right? At least it's fun for me. <laughs> for me. There's something in Buddhist practice called the 18 realms of elements. It sounds complicated, (laughs) 18 realms of elements. It sounds like it might be far off in some other place too, right? Because where could all those realms be? But actually the 18 realms of elements, 18, divisible, uh, is three sets of six. Each one of those six is a facet on the same experience that we carry every single moment of our day. But I wanna tell you about the 18 realms of elements because it's an incredible tool for calming and clarifying. Uh, If you can learn to tune in through it, it's so lovely to deeply relax into the moment. So the first set of six these 18 realms refers to the sense organs, our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our tactile sense of touch throughout the body, right? So the, the feeling dimension of our of our body and our mind the first six then you might say why is the mind in there with the other physical sense organs right eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body and mind um, it's because it operates in the same way as the other senses a sense organ is a sense organ because it produces a sensory experience, sensory input for us, right? And when we are thinking, we produce that also. It's a, it's a, the thought produces a sensory experience for us. You, you tune in, you'll see you've, you've, you do feel your thoughts, right? They create something in us. The, the interoceptive nervous system in our body is producing all kinds of things, heavily influenced by our thinking. So our eyes are in contact with when they're in good working condition and they're open and maybe it's not pitch black out. There are colors, light and shapes and forms around us and our eyes are in contact with the, the light, the color and the forms. And because of the contact between those two there is seeing, right? There is the sensory perception of seeing. Uh, So this is the first of the six, sorry, this is the first of the first six, the first of the second six, and the first of the third six in the 18 realms of elements. The eyes, the objects seen, and the seeing. And our sensory perception in terms of seeing depends on our eyes and the shapes and colors, light that is around us. And if you take away any one of the elements, the others don't exist. And that's important a little bit later. (laughs) So it's the same with the ears. The ears are there and then there's vibration and sounds And because the ears uh, and the sounds are connecting, the vibrations are connecting, we have the sensory experience of hearing. The nose, scent and smelling. The tongue, the, the taste and the tasting, right, the thing tasted and the tasting, the body the thing that contacts the body or contact within the body that produces the sense of touch or feeling in the body. And the mind is the, the thinker, the thing thought about, and the thought itself. Right? And it, you, you can't have that thought without the thing thought about or the thinker. Right, It all goes together. And um, these are the 18 realms of elements. The six, six, the six objects, or sorry, the six, the six organs of sense, the six objects of sense, and the perceptions, the, the sensory input, the senses that arise because of them. Mm. All of our experience in our daily life, waking consciousness, is contained within this model all of it's there. And, uh, so we don't and, and it's something that we carry every day with us all the time. Right? So this is one of these beautiful teachings that helps us to really get a full and wonderful hold on what's happening in the moment. So how do you practice with something like that? It's really quite lovely. <laughs> um, and I'd love to guide you in a very short meditation right now to get in touch with this. Mm. So, come into an awareness of breath, bring your awareness into in-breath and out-breath. In-breath and out-breath are going to happen. We don't have to do a whole lot there. except whatever effort it takes to bring our mind to the sensation of breathing in and breathing out. While I'm breathing in, I draw my awareness up into the organ of my eyes aware of my right eye and left eye, and breathing out, I relax any tension that I have in and around my eyes. Aware of my eyes, relaxing my eyes. Eyes, relaxing. Feel the space of your eyes, the eyebrow and the bones that hold the eye and the skin and the lashes and the ball. Try to sense the whole space around your eyes and invite it with each out-breath to relax a little. shift your awareness to the ears and breathing in, become aware of ears. If it's hard to feel your ears, send your awareness as close as you can to the sides of your head, one side and the other side. Breathing in, aware of ears and breathing out, releasing tension in and around the ears. You can also bring a hand up you can't feel your ear easily, bring your hand up and just gently touch your ear so that you can sense the space that your ear fills. Aware of the outer ear, aware of the inner ear, breathing in ears, breathing out, relaxing. And shift your awareness to your nose, the right nostril, the left nostril. Fill your nose and your nasal cavity with your awareness. Feel the air as you breathe in. Move through your nasal passage and as you breathe out, release any tension in and around the nose aware of nose relaxing bring your awareness into your mouth into the space around your tongue and to the tongue itself aware of the jaw relaxing the jaw teeth and gums and there the tongue release any tension in and around the tongue bring awareness down through your neck and shoulders in the body out your arms to your hands and your fingers, your right hand and fingers, left hand and fingers. Filling your hands and fingers with awareness as if you were pouring water into a cup. Aware of hands and relaxing hands. bring awareness down through the belly and hips and legs, down to feet, aware of right foot and left foot, and sending that invitation to relax and release tension into the right and left feet. now before moving to the mind let's just go back through eyes again bring your awareness up to eyes and with an out-breath let go and to ears and let go and to nose letting go to tongue letting go hands and feet letting go and now drawing awareness deeply inward find that space in the center of your being out of which your thoughts arise reaching out And with every thought that rises up and out of that space inside, looking for meaning, looking for understanding, take a breath and let it go. Release it. Don't follow. Aware of thoughts arising. Releasing thoughts. So you may notice that we only worked with the six sense organs, <laughs> but that's all right because all the others are contained in that, right? If you wanted a more complex meditation, after you get used to something like that, you can take up the, the others as well, where you go with your eye, relax your eye, become aware of your eye and then become aware of the, the, li- the light and the color and the shape and become aware that you're seeing. Go to your ears, the vibrations and sounds. Become aware that you're hearing like that. You can move through it like that. We don't have time to do all of that tonight. but These are lovely practices for bringing a deep calm into us because this is the place where the world is coming in. It's coming in. And in a mindfulness practice, we talk about putting a sentinel in your sense doors. Right, So put, putting a watcher there. And that's your mindfulness, right? To become aware that you have eyes and that they're seeing and that what you see is having an effect on you. And, right, it's it's coming in and going out there. There's a door of information. There's a connection between you and the world there. And you put that sentinel of mindfulness there with your ears too, your nose, your tongue, your body, of course, and the sense of touch. Become aware of that and put a sentinel of mindfulness there so that you can see what does all of this touch? What does this contact bring you? Is it bringing you health and well-being? Is it energizing you? Is it helping you? Or does it take away your energy? Does it bring you happiness and joy? Or does it bring you suffering? There are many things that we see every day which bring us joy and there are many things which bring us suffering. With mindfulness we can see that. We can begin to understand the nature of the things that we take in through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body and our mind. Yeah. We understand whether it, it is producing a wholesome experience for us or an unwholesome. And then we have a choice. Without mindfulness, without the sentinel, you have no choice. You just get it. You get whatever's there. And you're gonna keep going and just being at the sort of the whim of the world, moved here, moved there. Internally, there's this expression uh, that you see in some of the sutras. It's called uh, the emotions of the majority. <laughs> so you are moved by the emotion of the majority. So if there's a, a strong experience happening in the world around you, you are carried by it. Right? And the sentinels of mindfulness at our sense doors are very important for us being able to keep a solid ground as we move through our daily life. Now, simple meditation like this Although it doesn't do all of that, it gives us the ground. It gives us the basis to know this is my eye seeing. And what I'm seeing is helping me or it's not helping me. Right? <laughs> and when it's not helping me, I have a choice to choose. Then, okay, let me change this. right? I'm consuming every moment of my day through eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and mind. It's, the world is coming in. There's not a moment where it doesn't. Yeah. And... Uh, if we have our mindfulness strong and intact in us, um, we can navigate that. Uh, we can take care of ourselves like that. Mm. The part about the mind is super important and also difficult right, to come into an awareness of that. But our thoughts are also feeding us. You keep telling yourself that story over and over in your mind, and it makes you more and more agitated, right? Uh, and if we can see that with our mindfulness, then we have the choice to say, wait, maybe I don't need to tell myself this story anymore, right? Maybe I could change it a little. Maybe I could look for a new and wider perspective. And simply slowing down helps us to do that already. Yeah. mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's all i want to say right now and go to some questions um i hope that that's a nourishing practice a practical thing that you can take with you as you go on um i practiced with that particular calming of the sense organs meditation um many months consecutively during a period when i was in the monastery maybe even a couple of years i don't know it was a long time that was my go-to that when i sat that's basically what i did to really center and calm myself. And it's become so fluent and easy for me to do now. I don't have to do it all the time, but I can go to it in any time and just be like, right. That, you know, like, especially like if I've been working on the computer or something, I'll, you know, I might just stop for a few minutes and go right to my eyes and really whew, let that all go. Um, and uh, uh, It's available. Because I trained in the pattern of relaxing in that way. And it's super effective. Because it's the, those six things cover it covers pretty much everything you can experience in your day. Mm, thanks so much for listening. Mm. I don't know how we want to do this. want to just open up for some questions. A good question in terms of Dharma questions as a question that has to do with your daily life it has to do with things you're experiencing or difficulties you might be having applying the practice to a certain part of your life or you know so if it comes out of your life experience no doubt it has something to do with a number of other people in the room too not that like your issue is about them but they have something similar right and so it, it's, it's good in the sense that it's a it's a universal or common question With sincerity, <laughs> um, it's a difficult moment, isn't it, when we become aware that we have hurt someone without meaning to hurt them or without knowing that, like, the issue was there at all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, I I might have a practice to. Real, or, or I practice I, I really try to, when that happens um, to uh, be humble and not necessarily like oh I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry but to be humble and honest about where I'm at and that I need to learn help me I didn't mean that I didn't mean to cause you suffering you know and maybe the way I express myself or my lack of understanding of the kind of issues that you face in your life you know and I don't face those or I haven't yet faced them you know and we're just bumping up there I, I try to express an interest in that's what I said with sincerity in, an interest in in um, staying present with it uh um, I have learned so much, especially in recent years, in this way, Um, following up with my sincere willingness to participate and learn and grow from the experience. Um, mm. I don't think it's possible that we can move through life and not cause little bits and pieces of suffering at least if not big ones um, right? uh, it, n- none of us is perfect <laughs> and we'll, we'll conduct ourselves perfectly right? no matter how hard we try um, and, and most of the issues that are deeply that are powerful for people in terms of suffering for any one of us most of those issues are not individual issues they're collective issues. They're, they're problems we have in, in the evolution of our species. <laughs> um, you know, something along the lines of race or gender, right? These kind of things. These are very potent sufferings, and they're collective issues. And so uh, to endeavor just to meet them and be a part of them and to try to, uh, uh, to learn and grow as best we can. That said, there are some times when we can't actually come to a good place with someone they're not ready or they don't want to reconcile when, we ha- when they feel we have wronged them. And so we can't expect perfection there either. Uh, I mean, in the, in, the, in the field of therapy and psychology and such, there's statistics around this, like, you know, when you have a clientele, there's a certain percentage of clients you can expect that you, are, you yourself are not gonna be the right person to help them. And it won't. It's just not going to work. Um, so there's that part is sort of a harder reality to bear for us. But at the same time, it's part of our life to be, to have hardship and challenges and and pain. There's no life without that. And so developing a practice of embracing the part of ourselves which feels so bad about hurting someone else. That's another part of it. I think I've gotten somewhat good at that with myself, <laughs> like having, having compassion and patience for that part of me which, you know, might beat myself up for having said something or done something which uh, caused harm. That's another part of the practice too, taking care there, self-compassion. There is one written question I should do Um, and I have to answer this question from outside of the monastery, of course, because I'm no longer in it, but I would like to know why monastic members are asked to practice chastity. Why can they not pursue a romantic relationship that would eventually include a sexual relationship? It's very much a part of the monastic life of a number of traditions to have chastity and celibate practices. Um, Not all Buddhist monastics follow that. That's part of what's in Buddhism, the full ordination path. And certain cultures have moved away from that and have you know, robust expressions of Buddhism in their culture and society that don't include the full ordination practices. And so they actually have uh, traditions where uh, the monastics or the um, priests, if you will, are, are able, even able to marry. Um, so in the Plum Village tradition is a full ordination tradition, and you do practice celibacy, you practice chastity, And um, it takes a lot of energy to maintain a relationship that will be as intimate as a sexual relationship needs to be, right? Like if you're going to have a sexual relationship and not risk a lot of suffering, you need to give a lot of energy to that relationship. To maintain it to keep it healthy and strong and the monastic aspiration is not about personal uh, gain in any way and so your life is a life of service and so every ounce of your energy is precious in that sense and so it's not just through sexual relationships that you choose not to go near it because if you go towards it, then there's all this energy that gets used in, cult in maintaining those relationships in that intimate way. You just don't even go near that. All that energy is now in play for to use in, you to use in your practice and your service work. Right? It's not just there, though. There are other parts of life where you also sort of refrain. You hold back from just going and doing in order to maintain that strong energy each day. Uh, it's really quite an interesting practice. I had a great time with it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Sexual energy is. Um, mm, it's interesting. I experience it as just energy. And what we think of as sexual energy that might be like a biological drive, my experience is it's it's very little. There's very little biological drive. Most of it is um, stimulated by activity in the mind. Generated by activity of the mind. And this is the same kind of thing. If you go deep into your stopping practices, you'll notice these sorts of things. But that's a that's something that I learned through that practice over years. That my mind is really the instigator of all that energy that seemed to be like a biological need. It's not really so much of a biological need. When when you're able to, if you count your, you know, if you allow that mental activity to be part of your biology, which it, in a way it is, right? Then, then it is kind of a biological need as long as you cultivate it. But if you don't cultivate that. If you're not allowing your mind to produce that stimulation inwardly, which will give rise to sexual energy, then it doesn't happen. And that it's uh, before that, it's just energy in you. And again, you, you move it. You move it in a different way. You move it into your service work. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Amy, mm. I'll let you facilitate
2: that I rode with uh, on the retreat she was asking about that she was we're talking about the third mindfulness training and it it says roughly um, you know to to take care of your sexual energy in a I don't know what, I can't remember exactly the words but sort of a wholesome way like perhaps you don't have a partner you're not going to have a partner, so she was like, I really want the Sangha to talk about this more, so what are these skillful ways, how do we take care of this energy, and maybe you kind of answered the question by working with that mind, but maybe people feel like it might take them a while, and what do they do with it?
0: Oh yeah, it does not just you just can't be like, Oh, I'm just gonna turn it off. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know. So, habit energy is habit here. energy. But
2: she's <laughs> not here tonight, so I'll ask for her.
0: Yeah. Well that would be that would be a great topic to take up as a long term study. How you know, what what is this energy? How is it produced in us? What increases it, you know, what what in a sense agitates it or escalates it, maybe that's a better word. What escalates that energy in us? I mean, you could take up all sorts of very interesting topics, and I'm sure you'd have a big crowd if you published <laughs> that you were going to discuss certain topics with this, you know, because um, it's an issue that everybody faces. <coughs> and there's a tremendous, there's tremendous suffering in our society right now around this too. The, the, the ease with which one can get completely lost in mental patterns around this is just blown wide open in the last 20, 30 years. what you what you feed yourself will grow something in you, right? It's that simple. And once it starts going, it's looking for more food. It's a habit energy. It just keeps producing more of itself. Apple trees grow apples. They don't grow oranges. And in this case, you know, the the habit of um, being lost in sexual thoughts or fantasy or whatever, right? Is it's gonna produce more of it's gonna try to produce more of itself. It's not gonna try to calm down. That's a great topic for for discussion. I would take it up with the Sangha. I mean, I have one perspective, but I'm sure there are many beautiful thoughts out there. Mm.
2: So I will mention that we um, do plan on covering exactly that topic. <laughs> um, our Mindful Community Conversation series this fall, so stay tuned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Been um, thinking and wondering about the transformation of sort of an intellectual head understanding of uh, maybe a dharma concept into a more intuitive heart level understanding, sort of a lived experience level, and how those things can happen. Because you might read, you know, a teaching in a book or hear it, and, and feel that ah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I can I can try and try that out, and and then um, with but find that without um, internalizing it in a deeper way it doesn't really sink in for me I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about how to shift shift from head to heart nice Mm. well what we just did would be one example of that it's a nice heady exercise to be like oh 18 realms of elements I just figured out my entire daily experience or stop Mm -hmm. and practice with it and go through that so that it's less thought and more felt and experienced, right? That's one simple example. But I have the feeling you're talking about (laughs) some of the more (laughs) uh, sort of uh, complex concepts that are often presented in the Dharma. Um, So for me, my favorite doorway is uh, deep looking with, eyes of interbeing and or impermanence and for me deep looking is not and never has been an intellectual exercise um that was so easy that part of it that was long before i encountered buddhism when i was in environmental sciences it was just oh right you know this incredible interdependence of every condition and every living being right it was just was clear to me at that level, at an intellectual level, it was very simple to grasp. But deep looking is something that involves exactly what you're asking. And so um, I try to practice um, giving my thoughts more space. So you don't need a complex meditation on interbeing in order to enter into it, right? So you have uh, the classic idea that Thay would often give, and that I have used many times in my talks, is look into a flower, right? Because flowers are beautiful and are pleasant to look into, so it's a nice example to start with. You take a flower, and you've got a flower, and you're gonna look into a flower, and in the flower, you see sun. Because you know the flower can't be there without the sun. You're looking with the eyes of interbeing. To do that, you're asking a question of yourself. What's the flower made of? Right? I want to expand my sense of the flower, my idea of the flower, from just being this thing there that right, maybe is yellow and green mm-hmm. right, and shaped in a nice way to something deeper. And I look into it. I say, what are you made of? And one of the first things that might come into my mind is, and it might just arise, might be thinking, just come out, well, flowers have sun, the sun and the flower. Okay, so then I take that thought and I give it a little space. So I don't just say, yeah, sunshine and flower, obvious. I, I take it, I go, breathing in and out, I try to feel in myself, what would it be like to be a flower receiving the sun? I take a couple breaths with that thought as a flower receiving the sun. And that's something I can feel. And that thought might give rise to other thoughts. Right? Like, as a flower receiving the sun, I might feel, you know, there might be the, the the word might rise in my mind, like opening, right? Softening like warmth right? these, these other things might be in there and I give them that space to breathe with them and feel with them so I'm integrating my mental and my felt experience right? it's that simple right? so you give that spaciousness to your thoughts that they become more than just a running mental story that goes so fast and they slow down a little bit they include the felt experience also and they, they might still run a little in there but then you, you just keep breathing them open Keep slowing them down. And just that one flower and sun now puts you into the realm of the experience of the interbeing of things. Now interbeing isn't just an idea. You can feel this uh, interbeing happening in you. You are also, I am also, made of the sun. Right? I don't photosynthesize the sun's energy in the same way the flower does. Right, But... I am also made of the sun. It's the same sun, right? So I am experiencing that that, uh, nourishment that comes from the sun. As I I do that, I'm I'm using my thoughts to bring me closer to that, towards. Our thoughts will never contain the deep experience of something like interbeing. They can't grasp it, but they can point us towards the experience. And the more that we do that and the more space we give it, then it, it kind of like fills us up. And, and we we really um, sense that that home that we have, which is described by interbeing. We sense it through the meditation practice. That's deep looking for me. It's, it's taking the mental pictures and mental ideas of things and giving them more space. But generally along the track of, Using eyes of interbeing or impermanence, right? And impermanence being very similar to that, you know, it would be instead of what are you made of? Perhaps where have you come from? And I might also come up with the sun in that, but I might as well see the bulb or the seed, and the and this whole experience of growth in the flower, and contemplate it that way. Um, yeah, is that helpful? A question.
2: Yeah. Um, on a similar vein, I've heard Thay's teachings on inner being and a lack of a separate self a lot. Mm-hmm. Where does the fire come from? It doesn't come from anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. There's nothing stable. Everything about you is changing constantly. I get that intellectually, but I don't truly understand how that is supposed to alleviate a fear of death, since I still very much feel... <laughs> in this moment a conglomerate of many elements which produces
1: thought
0: mm. <laughs> I think to some extent that changes as you continue to practice as you continue to practice integrating the ideas into more felt experience um, perhaps it's helpful to do it in relationship. Uh, the kind of deep looking that I was just talking about with a flower, but to do it in relationship with m- something closer to the question of birth and death. Um, so the one experience that that is easy for me to talk about like that uh, is the, my grandmother, my mother's mother, and how in the years before she died, uh, I actively contemplated her continuation and transformation Um, in such a way that, you know, I wrote letters to her about my gratitude for the things she transmitted to me in her way of living, right, the things I learned from her. And those are, you know, those are ideas, like I see that she uh, was an artist and a crafter, and i very much love those things and i spent a lot of time around her as a child doing those things and she led me in many projects and i and that i see that her continuation in me and i love that part of that of her and so i wrote a letter expressing my gratitude for all things like that and that was my contemplation of her continuation in me but I did it more and more, and I approached it very clearly from this perspective and talked, talked with her also directly about that she's growing old and she's going to die. And, and I wanted to have these conversations with her while I could, right? That kind of a thing. And I, so I really, and she, she then also shared her experiences of these things. It was really lovely growing over some, you know, this is every few months, over some years having these letters or phone calls or short visits. And it became so, it got into me in such a way that I noticed her in me. I still can in any day. Um, I got to know, I really got to know her in me. And um, in the same way you might get to know her, I might have gotten to know her out of me, outside of me. So if you're going to get to know someone, you spend time with them. Right? You watch them, you observe them, you talk with them, you learn with them, you do things with them. I was doing that with her continuation in me and getting to know her in me in that way, not just as ideas, so that I could be in a museum in Paris and <laughs> look on a painting in the wall and be like, hmm, that one just doesn't have it. you know. <laughs> and then I'd be like, thanks, oh, mom. I see you there, because she was extremely shrewd with her opinions about art. you know? And... And I, I would see that, that, that kind of living continuation in me so that when she died, even though she was such an important person to me, I didn't experience a loss because I was already experiencing her outside of her body in so many other ways. Not just as an idea, but as you was know, really what I feel. Um, tai talks about something similar with his mom. Took him six years, he said, but he eventually, contemplating her continuation, felt her as the moon on a full moon night caressing his cheek. Mm -hmm. Right? It's a beautiful image. Super poet, right? (laughs) (laughs) The moon on his cheek on a full moon night and realizing that was his mama. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that kind of a touch. And from that point on, he said, "I I can see her anywhere find her everywhere, right? So kind of broke through that. But it's a it's a it's a specific relationship. And that's kind of what I was saying. To contemplate specific relationship and give it time to grow in you. Um maybe not your own death, right? Yeah. But that said you know i, I experienced no sad, uh, no no i didn't really have any sadness with my grandma's life, uh, dying but that was also because she was like 91 <laughs> right There's, i know that's part of it because last year um, a very dear friend of mine died she was only 40 mm-hmm. and it was a long process and it was very painful and i was involved a lot with her and her family through the over well, over a couple of years but especially the last couple of months and um, that was a lot harder right because you have an idea that she hasn't had the opportunity to live a life as one should but that idea is the cause of my suffering right her her, her dying provokes that idea but that's my that idea is the cause of, of, of my suffering because I'm feeling... It's, and it's about me too it's not about her right it's, it's, it's me feeling this mm, discomfort with the, the, the injustice of, of that that would happen right but my ideas have produced that in me because I can have other thoughts too which make me so happy to have known her and to have her continuation in me to be able to care for her child who's now five and lives next door right you know I I have this living relationship with her continuation and her child, and I can be so happy with that. Right? I, I'm so thrilled with that. It's it's beautiful, and I can think beautiful thoughts about this process, and have a very different experience. So I'm aware of the way in which I conceive of the issue determines a lot whether I suffer or not. Um, yeah. focus your efforts of deep looking on things like flowers to learn the techniques and then then take up specific relationships or issues in your life to really start to unlock the anxiety or the fear that's in there give give yourself another basis for experiencing it and I love the words transformation and continuation those are also ties words those those two words are words that I love to use, because those words are closer to what I feel is the reality uh, when I look deeply of what we're going through, rather than like a beginning and an end with birth and death, right? I don't, I don't see a beginning anymore, I don't see an end anymore, but I can see transformation <laughs> and continuation. Mm. And those the meaning of those words gives me a different experience inside than saying, I lost someone they're done, they're over, they're gone, right? That, that meaning isn't in transformation and continuation. Yeah. So, mm. And I feel like those words also describe more closely. It's not just a trick of the mind. I feel they actually describe reality more closely because when I look at a birth or a death, I don't see a beginning or an end. Oh. I see a change that I don't see a beginning or an end. Uh, and sometimes I have to grieve that change to really let go of my old idea of how I wanted it to be. But that allows me, by letting go, to be in touch with the new reality and to see the transformation or the continuation. Mm.
2: announcements so you can know a little bit more about what's coming up at the center and maybe some other things in the community. And um, then we'll um, end with a closing bell and um, any help that you can putting away chairs and cushions is much appreciated. Um, I do want to say before we get to announcements that there is a Donna box, Donna means generosity. And it is out on the kitchen table as you walk through. If you feel so inclined to help continue um, Michael and Fern um, share their teachings, they um, come out for free and they um, share their wisdom and insights. And um, so if you feel like you have the means and you're feeling generous, feel free to um, give in the nana box on your way out the door. And, of course, the teachings of the Buddha are always free. So do what feels comfortable for you. Um, do you have like a website
0: with more teachings on it? Mm. There's a couple places you could see that actually up and coming, right? The talks from our retreat we just had this last weekend here and
1: like um,
0: will somewhere? be posted on the Open Way site at be some fun. point soon. And and the website that you got that bio information from is a very <laughs> poorly maintained website. Um, but there are... Uh, a number of retreats that I've offered w- um talks in the re- recordings are on there okay. it's true middle way, which is my dharma name true um, and it just has a recent ta- recent talks uh tab there and there are some from last year and then and a whole lot <laughs> from years past when I was doing more website maintenance. <laughs> so.
2: Have any like recordings of
0: the meditation that you had this go for, um, or could you record it? <laughs> <laughs> there are some guided meditations that are recorded, um, okay. and um, they are also available on that website, True Middle Way. Right, There's no hard copy discs available the meditations, oh, but no, you can I download MP3s. Like you could, like, download yeah, you can download yeah. MP3s. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if I could end by singing a. Thing, little thing. Yes, yeah. um, um I it's a it's a it's a little piece of a chant that um, I was actually thinking about before coming here, which is the reason why I was teaching about the eighteen realms of elements. Um, so I thought it would be good to end with it. It also talks about the gratitude to the Sangha, to the community of practice.
1: Sitting here in this moment Protected by the Sangha My happiness is clear and alive Ah. What a great fortune To have been born a human to encounter the Dharma, to be in harmony with others, and to water the mind of love in this beautiful garden of practice. The energies of the Sangha And the mindfulness trainings protect and help me to not make mistakes Or be swept along in darkness by unwholesome seeds With kind spiritual friends I am on the path of goodness, illumined by the light of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. Although the seeds of suffering Are still in me in the form of afflictions and habit energies. Mindfulness is also there, helping me to touch what is most wonderful within and around me. I can still enjoy. Mindfulness of the six senses. My eyes look peacefully upon the clear blue sky. My ears listen with wonder to the songs of birds. My nose smells the rich scent of sandalwood. My tongue tastes the nectar of the Dharma. My posture is upright, stable, and relaxed, and my mind is one with my body. If there were not a world-honored one, if there were not the wonderful Dharma, if there were not a harmonious Sangha, I would not be so fortunate to enjoy this of happiness today, ah.